0: Hey guys, how you doing?
1: What's going on, CLG? Welcome back. Yo, how's it going?
0: I'm doing pretty well, guys. Doing pretty well. How about you?
2: I'm doing fire, man. I uh, just ate some tacos for dinner. They're delicious. <laughs>
1: Let's go. Hell
0: yeah. Hell yeah, it's a meal of a king.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know you're into those nuggets, though.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm more of a Big Mac man, but yeah, I don't mind the nuggets.
1: Let's oh, go. shit. Yeah, it's like Super's number one meal. This man's like always taking hey. pictures of his Big Macs. Hey, don't expose me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, he's got the- like a loyalty reward card and everything. It's wild.
2: <laughs> Yo, Super's coming back, though, dude. He, he got liquidated, and now look where he's at, dude. He's, he's a king, bro. He's, he's getting those link cubes back.
3: Fuck yeah, and more. Let's go. Yeah, I
0: always gotta make sure what I have the link cubes.
3: Yeah, that's number one priority. Everything, uh everything I do is for link. I mean it may not seem like it, but that's like that's just the for sure bet for me. So I just yeah.
0: Yeah, I meant it in like a literal sense. I have like chain link cube dice, and so I always have that <laughs> with me when I'm getting a Big Mac. It just feels right.
3: <laughs> That's funny. Did you see the uh, the Monopoly Man Chainlink. I forgot who made it. I think it was Chainlink Hub. But the uh, little 3D Monopoly Man with a Chainlink cube.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did saw that. That was pretty cool. It was like a 3D printed version of Sergei as a Monopoly Man.
2: Oh, my God. CLG, you, know, you got to release like your own merch line or something. I feel like that would pop off.
0: <laughs> I feel like effectively everything Chainlink branded is basically... CLG merch. Otherwise, it'd just be (laughs) like that and a frog on it, basically.
1: Is it just me, though? Is, like, Sergei, like, well on his way to being kind of, like, the next, like, Steve Jobs type? Like, well, like, you know, like, in 10 years from now, like, am I alone in thinking that? Or is anyone else kind of, like, on board with that? Nah, I'm on board with it.
0: I can see that. Kind of a mysterious leader type, uh, visionary. Every, Every good, uh, every good project or company has, has that type.
1: Just comes in and disrupts the game, and like the world was forever changed, you know, since I'm coming in.
0: Yeah, sees the world in a different place. That's a, that that's a good quality of a good leader.
2: A hundred percent. I guess, uh, you know, CLG, just for, like, the YouTubers that we have and maybe people that aren't familiar with you, could you you give us, like, a brief intro to, like, who you are and, like, what you do for the Chainlink community? I know most people probably know, but just for the YouTubes.
0: Yeah, sure. So for those that don't know, I'm Chainlink God. I'm that one frog on Twitter who's obsessed with Chainlink. I'm effectively, like, a a Chainlink community uh, ambassador, so I kind of help coordinate the community and kind of... uh, help educate uh, people on what Chainlink does, what it does for the blockchain smart contract ecosystem and kind of help a lot of the time debunk the FUD as it, as it usually pops up from time to time is kind of what I help with, but primarily educating people, mostly on Twitter, but I've also uh, write some content on smart content, medium publication with Crypto Oracle, and also have a Chainlink odd podcast, which should have more uh, uh, more on those channels in the future.
2: Let's go. Where where can people find your podcast?
0: Yeah, so that's the best place is definitely Spotify. It's just Chainlink God Podcast. I didn't I didn't think of a better name than that, but that's uh you could find a bunch of mostly Chainlink related content, but we've also talked about uh, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, MEV, and some other concepts.
1: All right, so I I need to come clean. I uh, was at the gym. I think like three weeks ago, listening to a CLG breakdown MEV while I was getting in a workout. And I don't know how I felt after leaving the gym about that. (laughs) (laughs) My life has been consumed by chain link knowledge, but it was an amazing episode and breakdown uh, of MEV. So if you guys uh, haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I don't know if that's necessarily gym hype listening, but (laughs) if it works, it works.
1: That that's exactly how it felt. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about listening to that. As I just like pumped out a workout, but hey, it you know, it got the job done. <laughs> oh my god, Chase! I could totally see
2: you doing that, bro. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah. So I know I know CLG. We wanted to dive into CCIP um, in and layer two for this episode. I guess, you know, for the listeners that might not know at like a very high level, like what is CCIP and like how how does it work within the ecosystem, within the Chainlink ecosystem?
0: Yeah, sure. So CCIP is effectively the cross-chain interoperability protocol, which is a, a cross-chain messaging and cross-chain token bridging solution that's going to be built on Chainlink. So that was something that was announced uh, at, at SmartCon and that's like an, a, an additional service built on top of the Chainlink network that will be rolling out sometime in the future. And that's effectively helping create a multi chain ecosystem. So as we see lots and lots of different blockchains out there, you know, each have their uh, distinct advantages, you know, some go for higher speed, more decentralization, uh, privacy, different computation models, but they're currently very isolated from one another. So what CCIP is, is effectively using chain link oracles to bridge data from one blockchain into another. And that could be you know, from Ethereum to Polygon to BSC to Solana to Avalanche to wherever you want, kind of creating this universal substrate between all these chains, all secured by chainlink oracles, basically relaying data across. And there's more specific uh, mechanisms how that's secure that I can dive into if 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 it's relevant at this point. But it, it's effectively like this universal cross-chain interoperability solution.
1: Yeah, could you kind of like go like a little bit, level deeper for people who may not have like a ton of technical context, like what are some like practical um, examples of this like universal like messaging layer between all these layer one blockchains?
0: Yeah, so the most common we see just in general in the ecosystem is cross-chain token bridges. So if you want to be able to take your link or stable coins or ETH or Bitcoin or whatever from like Ethereum and transport it onto Polygon or some other chain you want to use it on, or from a different chain to another chain, you could effectively use CCIP as a secure bridge to do that. And that's kind of like the token bridging aspect, but that's kind of one half of the equation where CCIP really shines is uh, generalized data passing. So you can move not only tokens across blockchains, but also generalized messages and more specifically commands, which when combined with moving tokens can have really powerful combinations. So you can Uh, send your tokens from one blockchain to another and attach a message to it saying, hey, I want to earn the highest yield across these blockchains, across these protocols. And the bridge can effectively automate those tasks on your behalf and allocate those tokens on your behalf according to whatever commands you gave with those tokens. So you can create cross-chain yield aggregation solutions and even interesting use cases like cross-chain collateralized loans, like being able to Uh, have collateral on say like Ethereum and then be able to borrow stable coins on Arbitrum or on Optimism or Starkware or something. And so you're able to leverage the benefits of these different blockchain networks while using a single messaging standard. So regardless of what blockchain you want to move your tokens to, or you want to just uh, interact with other blockchains while staying on your blockchain of choice, you can have CCIP effectively automate all of the interactions of other chains on your behalf while staying within the environment that you choose to stay within. So those are kind of like the more advanced applications of what's more specifically uniquely enabled by CCIP.
1: And those, uh, the automation functions that you had touched on, like that could range across really just any sort of uh, use case. So it'd be like industry agnostic as like smart contracts get more and more adoption, I would assume. Um, is that like is that the Keepers that would be performing these on these uh, uh, programmable token bridges ecosystems?
0: So this would be this would be use case agnostic, but Keepers is a little bit something different. Keepers aren't necessarily cross chain; they're for automating smart contracts on like a single chain. So if something like BZX needs automated liquidations on uh, Ethereum, then Keepers can monitor contracts on Ethereum and then trigger executions as needed, but You can really think of CCIP in this context as like cross-chain keepers where it can monitor contracts across multiple blockchain networks. And if it checks like, okay, uh, you know, you can get better yield on this different protocol and this different blockchain, then it can trigger a transaction to transfer your funds. So it's like a much more advanced evolved form of a keeper, but really the keeper aspect of it is like one aspect of CCIP of that automation where it's, um, like keepers isn't necessarily going to be used for cross chain token bridging and certainly not cross chain message passing, but you know, CCIP can take on keeper type functionalities and qualities to it.
2: Yeah, and and with CCIP, is it isn't it also like a completely decentralized solution versus some of the competitors which are centralized?
0: Yeah, so they're like. With cross-chain bridges in general, when you boil it down to that part, it's kind of a, we see it like a broad spectrum. If you see something like the Binance chain bridge, then it's just Binance holding custody of your funds and then minting you some wrapped tokens. So that's 100% centralized. Uh, most cross-chain token bridges are effectively multi-sigs, but a lot of them are very small multi-sig sets, like a, a three or four of something. And that's not really that decentralized, and there aren't really any, uh, protections there. So CCIP, while it's not launched yet, is designed to be bootstrapped off of the 100 plus like nodes that are already running in production. So it'll be have this decentralized validator set all ready to go that have, you know already secures tens of billions of dollars in DeFi. Plus, it can scale up to secure, you know, the tens of billions, hundreds of billions, maybe trillions that's going to be in a multi chain economy. And there's kind of, in addition to like the decentralization, which is certainly important, there's also other like uh, safety measures on top of that, like uh, transfer limits where only a certain amount of tokens can be transferred across a bridge in a certain time. So if there were any issues, you know, the entire bridge couldn't just be all drained at once. So it's like a transfer limit. And then there's also the uh, the anti-fraud network, which is kind of a, a separate Oracle network uh, in addition to CCIP that's effectively monitoring the CCIP uh, token bridges and the underlying blockchains and can effectively uh, pause the bridge if there's any malicious activity or if there's any like reorg, extended reorg ac- activities on certain chains to kind of protect users. So that can kind of help mitigate those losses is like a like an emergency circuit breaker.
1: Hey, so dude, can you actually, can you expand a little bit on the anti-fraud network? Like how does that um, ecosystem look in terms of the setup? Like are there's gonna be, um, committees of nodes that have to have like link collateralized to basically service, um, what, like what does that look like?
0: Yeah. So, so what it's kind of what it looks like from what Sergey talked about and what was in the announcement blog post, there wasn't too much about link collateralization. I think that's like all chain chainlink services will play a key role as there's much more value secured and with super linear staking that can end up securing a lot of value in that bridge uh, with the. Anti-fraud networks specifically, that's like a, an independent set of nodes that are some of the most reliable, some of the most highest earning and the highest opportunity cost of being malicious nodes in the network separate from the nodes running the CCIP bridge. So it's effectively CCIP is like a collection of different bridges between different chains under like a universal standard. And then uh, there's uh, anti-fraud networks that basically monitor those nodes in the CCIP network plus the blockchain networks for uh, any kind of irregular activity and can automatically pause things as needed. So in the future, I would imagine there would be some type of uh, staking requirement or that I I believe in the blog it was mentioned that the users of CCIP can be in the anti-fraud network. So, you know, if you're a DeFi protocol who's securing tens of billions and relies deeply upon CCIP, you probably want to have a say if something goes wrong and have the capability to uh, like pause the CCIP bridge that interacts with your contract, then you would have, you could have the uh, capability to join the anti-fraud network. So, so like the anti frauds like a decentralized uh, circuit breaker group kind of helping protect the different bridges that are being run by CCIP.
2: Is it, is it kind of like a DAO? Or are they, are they voting upon whether or not, Uh, a shutdown should occur? Do you have any insight into how that process would work?
0: Yeah, I think conceptually you can kind of think of it as a DAO, but functionally it's more I would say it's more automated where what the anti-fraud network does, it's effectively sending like regular uh, heartbeat messages saying everything's okay, and if it ever stops sending heartbeat messages meaning it's no longer monitoring if something happened there, or it sends like an alert message, uh, which is like, uh, just like Chainlink keepers and like all of Chainlink services, it's entirely automated. So it wouldn't necessarily be a DAO driven vote. It could be implemented in that way if users uh, needed it for their implementation, but it would be more of like an automated auto, uh, uh, tracking and monitoring, and it would automatically send like a pause message if something were to go wrong. So it's it's meant to be a lot more faster acting than like getting uh, like a manual voting from a DAO. But, if you wanted to have it implemented in that way, I'm sure there'd be capabilities to do that as well.
2: Yeah, it seems like, couldn't that be uh, taken advantage of? Like if you know the key triggers for the automation, couldn't you try to disrupt the network?
0: Well, I don't think there'd be like a single entity who would be able to effectively disrupt things because the the anti-fraud network itself would be a decentralized network. So. And this decentralized network would be of the users who have financial skin in the game, where if CCIP is shut down and it's acting legitimately, their own protocol would be harmed. So they have no incentive to do that. And it would be the Chainlink nodes who have skin in the game through Link and who have uh, effectively the highest amount of like uh, revenue earning within Chainlink Oracle Networks. So they have a strong incentive to keep the Chainlink network running. And if it's CCIP is running correctly, there really isn't An incentive for anyone to disrupt things but there is a large incentive to help prevent any losses if there were to occur because any extended losses uh, within any chain like Oracle service would negatively affect the link token and because entities within the anti-fraud network would be financially exposed to link or through link services then they would have a strong incentive to Jesus they would have a strong incentive to basically help mitigate and reduce any possible losses
1: So switching gears a little bit to talk about like the user side, um, you know, it's so like in the future you are with CCIP, you have this like generalized like cross chain interoperability um, for development. Like what, what will this look like for users? Like, will they even be aware of what blockchains they are using when they're interacting with um, staffs on the ecosystem?
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of the kind of the cool part with uh, the user aspect because, because you're able to abstract away other blockchain networks effectively. It would be as if you're only ever staying on one blockchain. So if you prefer uh, the user experience of Ethereum or a specific blockchain network, you can stay on that blockchain network and yet still gain access to the liquidity and the protocols and the benefits of applications and other blockchain networks. So it's like being able to take advantage of a multi-chain ecosystem without having to go through a bunch of you know shitty, uh, not very reliable, poor user experience bridges you could just go through a universal CCIP bridge, have it either send it your commands or use a D app that basically uses CCIP to automate that process. So effectively the theme is for users, a lot of the friction and a lot of the experience of interacting in a multi-chain ecosystem would be effectively abstracted away. So I think ultimately like the longer term vision of blockchains in general is that users wouldn't really know what blockchain they're using and they wouldn't really have to know or care what blockchain they're using. They would just reap the benefits of the liquidity of a multi-chain ecosystem, which I think is like the—that's uh, almost like the ultimate goal of the blockchain ecosystem as a whole—is abstract away tech, uh, the complexities and just present the users the benefits.
1: And so, like you know, as you know, services are brought more and more on chain. Um, what does that look like for like the average person to use these services? Like, are DApps all going to have to have like little? Um, War chest of link to basically pay for these calls and services that the network is going to be providing Um, Because I've always like wonder. you know, we we bring a lot of dApps on the on The uh, show that talk about that but I'm always curious like what that relationship looks like on the back end.
0: I Mean it would be similar to other chain like Oracle services. So if you want to take advantage of any chain like Oracle service whether it's price feeds BRF proof reserve keepers or CCIP, you would need to incentivize the nodes and pay the nodes with, uh, with link tokens. So that can be link that they acquire, that could be link that they get through revenue in their DApp. That can be directly from users, but most of the time it's abstracted away. So like purchased from a, from like a DAO treasury or just automatically purchased, like um, as user revenue comes in, it could purchase link on a DEX and then it can use that link to then pay for CCAP services. So. Really, it'd be, it would be abstracted away from the users, but LINK is like the incentivization currency of the Chainlink ecosystem, and every node is always paid in LINK tokens for their services to uh, ensure that they have financial skin in the Chainlink network itself and its proper operation. So there's a lot of ways to abstract it away from the users, but in some regard, there would need to be some way to get a hold of LINK tokens and then paying for these Oracle services, which CCIP is one of them.
1: That's uh, damn okay. All right, <laughs> COG just comes in just dropping truth bombs. All right, so you know we talked a little bit about CCIP, talked a little bit about the anti-fraud network, um, talked a little bit of it about the Dons. How, how does OCR fit into this uh, larger jigsaw puzzle?
0: Yes. Yeah, so for OCR, for those who don't know, OCR is off-chain reporting. So that's the off-chain aggregation of data. So in turn, in the context of price feeds rather than each node individually submitting data points for an Oracle update. So if there's like a network of 31 nodes, 31 transactions, OCR batches those all together into one transaction. And OCR today is primarily designed for the medianization of uh, financial value, AKA OCR is just for price feeds today. But what's being effectively developed for CCIP is OCR V2, which is like the generalization of OCR. So the ability to aggregate any type of data uh, off-chain, not just, you know, market prices and by taking a median value. So that's important because CCIP is effectively monitoring blockchains for the initiation of CCIP transactions and then packaging all those uh, observations together and then submitting that to another blockchain network in a single transaction. So CCIP is one of those things that's going to be enabled by a newer version of OCR, but rather than OCR aggregating like the price of Bitcoin, it's aggregating observations of a user uh, request or like a user signature effectively. And all of the the signatures uh, signing off on a cross-chain transaction or cross-chain data or token transfer, whatever, is all gonna be aggregated into a single transaction the same way Chainlink price feeds work today. So OCR is very important for scalability because eventually there's gonna be a lot of cross-chain interactions and you know, if there's a, a CCIP network with like 50 Chainlink nodes and every interaction would require 50 transactions from nodes, wouldn't be very scalable or realistic. But if every cross-chain interaction is just one transaction, but that one transaction is observation from dozens of different Chainlink nodes, then that's that's like orders of magnitude more, more scalable and realistic. So OCR will play a very, very crucial role in powering CCIP.
1: Does that also kind of expand the scalability of the layer ones that are integrated with with chainlink as well like you know like you have different blockchains that have different block sizes and times
0: It wouldn't necessarily increase the scalability in terms of like the throughput of a dApp like Uniswap or Compound or Aave or something but it would increase the scalability in terms of like how many cross-chain interactions can you do in a certain time frame because uh, you know, like like you said, like there's a limited amount of block space, and if you were to saturate all that block space with individual transactions, then you can only do so many cross chain interactions at a time. But by batching it together, you could do more, uh, more uh, cross chain interactions at a time. So in a way, it is increasing scalability in the sense of cross chain interactions can uh, occur more frequently and can occur at a higher throughput. So. It's kind of scalability in a certain, like, limited sense, but it's scalability of a very crucial piece of infrastructure for enabling cross-chain applications.
1: Gotcha. So is it, is it kind of like fair to say it's like it's scalability in the middleware that supports all the connected layer ones? So ultimately, like, you don't need the um, processing speed on any particular layer one because it's the middleware so- solution that's scalable.
0: Yeah, in terms of cross-chain interactions and CCIP, that that scalability is really what what helps increase that process and allow for much more throughput between different blockchains. So it's like a uh, increasing the the increasing the flow through a pipe between like two different buildings. That's effectively what you're doing, but with CCIP.
1: So I'm actually curious, like, what are your thoughts? Like, I, I haven't really seen a lot of discussions around this, but. Um... You know, you have the taproot upgrade coming to Bitcoin um, and how I understand it. That is sort of paving the way for smart contracts to uh, come online for Bitcoin. Um, you know, what, what does it mean for you philosophically once you combine what Chainlink is, you know, having a decentralized Oracle network and a decentralized solution uh, and you combining that with decentralized
4: money?
0: Yeah, uh, Taproot, it's not, it's not enabling smart contracts in the terms of like a generalized programmable EVM compatible smart contracts, it's a, it's, it's more of like a privacy type upgrade for more specific DLC type contracts where everything kind of needs to be like pre written. So it's like a very limited form of smart contracts for some type of financial agreements. But regardless, because Chainlink's blockchain agnostic, then you know, Bitcoin's another environment through which data and tokens can be bridged to and from uh, effectively. And so I think that there's definitely a lot of room for a lot of, a lot of synergy between Bitcoin and Chainlink in that regard, whether that's, you know, bridging Bitcoin uh, across different blockchains using CCIP, or whether that's bringing data and tokens into Bitcoin from other blockchains or from other real world data sources effectively. But I think that Bitcoin gets a lot of its advantages, not from any smart contract capability, in which it's, for the time being, in its current implementation, is just always going to be inherently limited, uh, just due to its uh, design and ossification. But it does have its advantages in maximally censorship-resistant money. And once you can bridge that money across different chains and being able to like use it as collateral, or being able to, uh, you know, put it on a dex and earn liquidity-providing fees, or uh, you know collateralized options or like whatever the hell you want to do I think that's like where the real value proposition is between something like a middleware like Chainlink and a censorship Resistant to money like Bitcoin so a lot of synergies, but I don't necessarily think anything like taproot is gonna make Bitcoin a smart contract chain really
1: Gotcha, I, I really appreciate you diving into that because there's been like a thought that like I just don't know enough to break down by myself so it's awesome to have access to a resource like uclg to break that down
0: yeah of course i'm definitely not a bitcoin expert much more ethereum and smart contract side but i do respect what bitcoin's done they've taken a very distinctly different route than (laughs) most any other project
2: yeah I'm, i'm curious clg like what are you most excited about with ccip
0: i think the general like what we're already seeing is that things are shifting more towards like a multi-chain ecosystem. And so I think that what we'll really see is like CCIP is like throwing an accelerant on the fire, basically helping speed up this uh, inevitable future. And I think that what's quite interesting is whether you like them or not, but I think that uh, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs are going to become more prevalent. And I think that, that will have the capability to introduce trillions of dollars into the blockchain ecosystem. And central bank currencies are going to be minted and distributed on their own ad hoc ledger. You know, for the that's most likely what's going to happen. And you'll need some kind of bridging technology to actually bring that liquidity into other ecosystems like DeFi. You know, we already use a ton of centralized stable coins within DeFi uh, as debt, as being able to borrow it or just for trading it against it. I think that uh, CBDCs, as they become more accepted, will take on a large amount of liquidity and that will be able to be bridged into DeFi through CCIP effectively. So I think that's a significant market opportunity and especially as financial institutions start transacting and use CBDCs as their medium of exchange, then when they want to start bridging into DeFi, they're going to want to use their same medium of exchange, which means that they're going to have to end up using Chainlink. In order to get their tokens over effectively, or that's going to be the most liquid and the most secure bridge. In order to do that, so I think in terms of like maximum impact or the the largest uh, the largest event that that could happen through the defined smart contract ecosystem, I think that that's where CCIP would have the largest impact. But in general, I think what we'll see is a lot of a lot of applications take like a multi chain approach, where we'll see things like Sushi Swap they'll deploy their same contract on Ethereum, on Polygon, on BSC, on Arbitrum and Optimism, and they'll deploy it across all these different networks, but it's the same contracts, but they don't interact with each other. They're like isolated deployments. But I think with CCIP, what we'll start seeing is like actually cross-chain applications where users don't go through a bridge and they don't necessarily have to like, again, know, know what blockchain that they're using, but they interact with one application benefit from the liquidity across all chains and can even do things like storing your NFTs on Ethereum where they're the most secure, but then being able to prove you own that NFT and start using it in games on like Polygon, while without having to actually move your NFT anywhere, just proving that you own them through CCIP, you know, it's like a proof reserve type use case of CCIP. So I think there's like, there's like an infinite amount of possibilities. On what you could create as a developer with ccip and i think it's i know this analogy is a little overdone but it's it's like the internet in the early 90s where you know we're we're building the initial infrastructure but what's actually going to end up being created out of it and what's going to be the you know the massive use cases in the next decade or two you know can really only be told by seeing what happens in the future so i'm personally very excited
1: yeah going, kind of going off the like what what are some ideas that you've had or just like, um, whether it's like a whole industry or just like use cases, like what what, what excites you um, to see like be disrupted in the, in the coming years?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think in general, there's like a lot of, just a lot of maximalisms on uh, specific chains. And I think that that's eventually going to just be broken down uh, in general, once people kind of just have this seamless access to multiple different chains. I mentioned some previous use cases before, but I think some of the coolest ones are like a just cross-chain collateralized loans. So being able to have assets on different blockchains all as collateral, then borrow tokens on one chain, and then bridge those tokens to another chain, and then deploy that into an application that allows you to uh, like earn yield across all these different chains. So it's like a, a web of operations, effectively. So I think I, th- I think. Uh, cross-chain collateralized loans will be extremely powerful because that allows you to use, you know, a lot of lot, a lot of lending platforms are like wrap uh, tokens now, but if it's something like RAP Bitcoin, then it's like a centralized custodian. But if you can use native Bitcoin as collateral and it stays on the Bitcoin blockchain, but you can use it as collateral on Ethereum and then you can go and borrow stable coins on Arbitrum and then deposit that into a protocol that seeks yield across every single blockchain in existence. I think there's just like infinite steps of composability that's enabled
2: yeah it's crazy man I uh, I love I love just how early we are and how and how we can just like kind of you know uh, trying to try and predict the future of, of crypto but no one really knows you know where where everything is going and I think the future is just gonna be very surprising um, you know in terms of even in technology that we haven't thought of uh, today—it's—it's it's incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just a whole, there's a whole, <laughs> the whole wide world of opportunities that we can never possibly manage, uh, imagine today. Just like most people could not imagine, you know, self-paying loans and these different protocols that already exist today and are growing at a, you know, accelerating rate.
3: Hey, uh, CLG, I was wondering if you could touch on the future demand. Of the Chainlink token as the services are fully rolled out, so CCIP, Fair uh, sequences wow, well, I was butchered that FSS, VRF, and Keepers.
0: Yeah, so effectively, like as the adoption of the Chainlink network increases, that's a direct connection to the increase of user fees that need to be paid. Alongside that, because uh, every additional user means uh, new paying users, effectively. So the growth of adoption means increase of aggregated fees. And as there's more aggregated fees for specific service, the subsidies for that service are as needed and it can be decreased and can be reallocated for the launching of different services, different Oracle networks and whatnot. So effectively, there's kind of two aspects you'll have. Um, if adoption grows, which is kind of the what things depend on and <laughs> we've clearly already seen, is that there's a greater uh, breadth of projects paying in link for these Oracle services. And then there's a vertical aspect where as each protocol secures more value, they need to pay to get higher levels of security for their services, whether that's uh, keepers with more nodes or that's price feeds with additional nodes, additional data sources, increased update frequency or CCIP with more connections to more blockchains, then those users will have to pay more link to get access to higher security guarantees for their services. So it's kind of a dual dual aspect of horizontal more users and vertical users need more security guarantees. So it's kind of all dependent upon the adoption of the network, but given that adoption increases every chainlink oracle service requires link and that is true today where users using chainlink oracle services are paying in link. Now new oracle services when they first launch are initially subsidized Because that's how you bootstrap the supply side of a network, because nobody's going to pay the full costs uh, as the first user, Uh, it would just be insanely expensive, but you can subsidize it, get user fees, then more more users join, you don't need the subsidies as much. And then that just becomes predominantly and then entirely user fees entirely. And then as that surplus increases, uh, node operators can invest in more secure infrastructure. And eventually in the future, that will incentivize node operators to compete. For those fees aka they need to stake more link in order to stay competitive against other nodes because you got to realize at a certain point in the future when there's hundreds and thousands of chain link nodes all with 99.99 repeating uptime and accuracy guarantees and all of these hyper reliable nodes how are you going to be able to choose which nodes you want for your oracle services ultimately it'll come down to how much stake guarantee can a chain link node give me and then that'll be the aspect on how chain like nodes are competing. So the increase of user fees will inevitably lead to the increase in staking from nodes competing to get those fees. So it's kind of like a dual flywheeled effect for the link token effectively. That's kind of a not well understood aspect, but I think that's like, um, an important aspect of how links tokenomics work.
1: No, definitely. I,
5: yeah.
1: I love that. Um... I know we're kind of getting away from CCIP, but uh, you know, you, you talked about all these new use cases that are going to be brought on chain. Um, but with that, there's a need for data. So, can you kind of talk about like what that relationship looks like for data providers to actually monetize their data um, to actually be kind of like developed within the Chainlink ecosystem?
0: Yeah. So, for for data providers, that's less so about CCIP, and that's more so about how they can monetize their APIs across the blockchain ecosystem. So it, it's kind of similar in a sense where chain-link nodes are natively blockchain agnostic, a meaning that a data provider, when they join the ecosystem, can immediately start selling access to their data across a multitude of different blockchains. And that can be done you know, in different approaches. There's a backwards compatible approach where data providers can sell access to their data, their APIs to existing chain-link nodes like Deutsche Telekom, like Swisscom, Uh, and like these other proven Chainlink node operators, who then purchase those APIs and then sell that data to smart contracts across different blockchains and can deliver that data directly to smart contracts on every blockchain. So it doesn't need a relayer type design. It doesn't need a cross chain type design for that because Chainlink nodes already directly deliver data to every supported blockchain. And then there's the other aspect that we've seen more and more is data providers uh, launching their own Chainlink node effectively allowing them to not only directly sell their data to smart contracts, but also the ability to cryptographically sign their data. So users and smart contracts can verify the exact source and can cryptographically verify that it came from a specific source. So Chainlink is very crucial for data providers who want to increase their revenue by selling their data to existing smart contracts. And because the same reason CCIP is able to exist uh, because Chainlink nodes are already blockchain agnostic, it that ask that blockchain agnosticism is the same re- is one of the reasons data providers gravitate towards Chainlink is because a Chainlink integration means you can already sell your data across all of the different environments, and because Chainlink has such a massive network effect, that means you have the greatest collection of users to sell your data to in the first place. Now, there's no point to actually integrate an Oracle or deploy an Oracle node. If there's no paying users that exist to purchase your data because nobody trusts the Oracle solution you deployed upon, but you know clearly Chainlink doesn't have that problem, which is why so many data providers uh, gravitate towards Chainlink and it can immediately start selling their data. So, data providers is like one of the very crucial aspects. We so see, you know, that of course they're important in price feeds. Uh, a lot of different providers selling their data to node operators. Some node operator or some data providers like Keiko running their Chainlink node. Uh, um, within price feeds and then different standalone uh, data provider Chainlink nodes providing like AML KYC data some providing weather data like the um, uh, like AccuWeather and uh, Google Cloud uh, weather data and these different types of uh, just unique data sets which is like one of the crucial aspects of Chainlink and so it's a uh, yeah the data providers can't be forgotten so definitely
1: yeah, actually, like you bring up a really interesting point. I want to expand on that. You know, it's like with data providers, you know, it could be travel data, weather data, commodity data, satellite data, sports data, um, proof of reserves data, a- any sort of data, right? So in effect, if you're bringing all that data, it's like this kind of um, ecosystem that once you use that data, you can develop services. Is it kind of like you know, the ceiling is sort of like left to our imagination and creativity of generating value, utilizing data.
0: Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like once you put a piece of data on chain and you have users paying for that data, then effectively you can create any type of service imaginable for that. And Chainlink is like a mechanism for bringing all the world's data onto blockchain networks in a backwards compatible manner with like very minimal integration effort on the behalf of data providers so like what you actually do with that data or like what data you compose together because you don't necessarily have to just use one type of data or one data source then you know the the, the sky's the limit like there's there's an infinite amount of possibilities on how you actually want to integrate that data into your protocol so there's uh there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of uh, possibilities there
2: Yeah, it's basically infinite use cases for for chainlink.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually um, now we're really we're really I'm we're <laughs> we're really getting away from the topic at hand but I just want to get your input but uh, you know, the way I look at the metaverse, I think it's uh, it's it's going to be an interoperable um, realm. I'll just say that. Do you kind of view Chainlink as the anchor between this, like, physical world of uh, value sharing or trust anchoring kind of this, like, physical realm with this, like, metaverse realm as we begin to create and have that interoperability and have um, smart contracts in this digital dimension?
0: Yeah, I think that's one way to look at it. Like, Chainlink is effectively, I, th- I think Sergey called it, like a like, a decentralized truth machine where you're basically monitoring one version of the world, in this case, the real world, the external physical world, you're generating a consensus of definitive truth on that, on what is a, you know, user defines what they need, then it's captured from the physical real world, then packaged and then delivered to a digital, uh, you know, you can, call it, you can really call it metaverse, DeFi, smart contract ecosystem, and Chainlink is like the middleware transport layer between these environments, but it's not one way, it's two way. So if a digital metaverse wants to be able to interact with the external world and affect real world systems and send outputs, um, you you could also do that as well. So it's like a bi-directional channel between the two and it's not necessarily just like a data transport layer. It's a, you know, that's a key part of it, but it's also like an off chain computation layer where It can extend this on-chain ecosystem world with any type of off-chain computation that can never be done natively on-chain. So it's still within the virtual metaverse realm, but it's within a different environment that happens at a lower cost and higher frequency and with different properties to it, uh, basically extending this uh, on-chain ecosystem. I think in terms of like metaverse, that's going to require a ton of data as well to operate that's going to require randomness to operate, and that's going to require interoperability between different metaverse environments, which will probably run on different blockchains, particularly as more corporations start stepping into creating their own permissioned uh, metaverse ecosystems. Even if they're on a blockchain or they're not on a blockchain, you know they'll still need uh, interoperability with on-chain systems to basically bridge all the metaverse type implementations together into one interoperable uh, metaverse, which is really what people are looking for when they talk about metaverse.
5: Yeah, I
1: might just have to like let this marinate for a little bit.
4: <laughs> I-, I love it. I-, I love
1: it.
2: Damn, that's, that's crazy. Jeez. Um, I'm curious, like CLG, I can't think getting maybe back to like, um, like a little bit more, um, future focus for like the rest of this year. Um, and, and into like 2022, like what are, what are like some exciting developments, um, that you think like the general, the general crowd should be like aware of, you know, for the end of this year and into 2022 that we should be paying, uh, close attention to that will have a big impact, um, just on the network as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about CCIP. I think that we're going to be seeing things like a, a new new version of, of VRF as well that allow for, like, subscriptions and more efficient payments in that regard. I think in general, we're going to see a lot more blockchain integrations, uh, particularly on a lot of different environments. I think in terms of like the ecosystem as a whole, we're going to see a lot more adoption of layer two networks and whether that be Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, in terms of Optimist rollups or ZK rollups, Starkware, ZK Sync, and, and the like there. So I think what's likely to happen is that we'll see a lot more Chainlink services launching on Layer 2 networks. And once they launch on Layer 2 networks, we're going to see more um, more uh, f- price feeds in different uh, different services operating at a higher frequency. And so one of the things that I know is launching uh, that that was in the, the Salon announcement is that Chainlink oracles are going to be launching on the Solana mainnet at some point later this year. And so the interesting one with that that's not a layer 2 network, but Solana is a uniquely high throughput blockchain. So we'll see price feeds operating on the Solana mainnet running at sub-second uh, price feed update frequencies. So that's like that's some of the fastest speeds that we, you know, ever have ever seen for price feeds and you know these aren't PiTH network price feeds that deliver you you know, an order of magnitude deviation in accuracy for the most basic of price feeds. Like these are going to be chain link price feeds, like they're going to deliver you the accurate price, the same reliability and the same level of accuracy as those we see on Ethereum, but at the speeds and frequencies that we see on uh, on Solana that's enabled by Solana effectively. So I think that I haven't really used the Solana ecosystem that much, but we are seeing a type of ecosystem developing on there. And once we see Chainlink oracles deploy in there, Solana developers will actually have access to reliable price feeds that don't have major deviations in them. And at that point, we're going to see a lot of more DeFi protocols um, deploying and integrating Chainlink price feeds on Solana. And we'll see a lot more unique use cases, things with higher leverage, more accurate, you know, kind of high frequency trading type of activity happening within a DeFi ecosystem because Solana is able to support that speed and because Chainlink is also able to support that feed because uh, Chainlink is able to operate the native speed of any blockchain network. That's the bottleneck. It's not Chainlink. It's the blockchain data is being delivered to and when that blockchain doesn't have that bottleneck, they have a different trade-off, but uh, they have a high frequency and a high speed, then you can have these. Uh, these price feeds and these other Oracle services operating at a very low cost and at a very high frequency. So, those are one of the one of the main things that I would be on the lookout uh, in the community when that when that drops and seeing what projects launch using those price feeds.
2: Yeah, it's it's honestly incredible just how important Chainlink is the overall DeFi ecosystem and the growth of this industry. Like, when you really when you really boil it down.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like it, it could be very underappreciated at times because Chainlink is like, it's like background infrastructure. You're not interacting with Chainlink directly, you're interacting with protocols that use Chainlink. You know, the same way people don't say they're going to go home and use AWS, you know, they're going to go home and they're going to use Netflix. But Netflix is built upon AWS. In the same regard, when you're using DeFi protocols, those DeFi protocols are using Chainlink and they're paying for Chainlink or they're paying for Chainlink services to Chainlink node operators. So I think, you know, what we've already seen today is things like price feeds, which sound very element elementary, but clearly are not that easy to operate in a very reliable way. That takes a lot of expertise and a lot of time and testing to get that working correctly. And we've seen Chainlink be able to basically perfect that over the past couple of years after. Uh, innovating the uh I- innovating that aspect of oracles and now we see chainlink securing you know over 50 billion dollars in defi alone plus probably another 50 billion in CFI at this point um, you know chainlink is clearly already the dominant standard and the vast majority of defi fundamentally wouldn't exist if it weren't for chainlink and now we're seeing things like uh, vrf taking off in the nft ecosystem and we're seeing more centralized stable coins and different wrap tokens Uh, increasing transparency through proof reserve, and we're seeing a whole, uh, whole spectrum of applications now automating their application using Chainlink keepers. And what we're seeing more and more is that applications can use multiple Chainlink Oracle services at the same time. A money market can use Chainlink price feeds to determine when liquidation should happen, then use keepers to automatically execute those liquidations, and you can have know ccip to be able to have collateral and debt on different chains and you can use vrf to distribute randomized rewards to people and you know there's different ways you can compose chain like oracle services to create more advanced applications because at the at the end of the day if you don't have chain like oracle services you don't have off chain services all you have is tokens and dow voting and those are useful but those are like two building blocks and you can't do very much when you have two building blocks. Like you need more building blocks to actually create a structure that people care about, and that's kind of like Chainlink. That's where link comes in. It provides the glue and these different building blocks to actually create more useful <laughs> applications. Where you look at the, some of the highest TVL applications of a compound synthetics, you know they're, they're possible because they are powered by Chainlink and they're secured by Chainlink. So, I think Chainlink's. Significantly underappreciated in that regard, but I think it's recognition will become more clear over time and particularly as adoption increases over time and user fee uh, aggregation increases as well will become effectively self evidence for everybody.
2: Yeah, one, one thing, you know, besides the great technology that Chainlink provides is one thing I notice is just in, through interacting with Chainlink employees and from hearing stories from other protocols we've brought on the space is the amazing team um, and how they are actually building a community and ecosystem outside of the technology. Um, like if one of their partners needs help or is in trouble. I've heard multiple stories about Chainlink coming to the rescue and supporting those partners, and I think that that's also very undervalued. Like we all we all realize that community is huge within the crypto space, but we don't focus on what Chainlink has built their own community around developers, um, the data providers, the node operators, and what they're actually doing to build out these these relationships. Um, and I I really really just appreciate everything that Chainlink does. Um, you know. On like a social and personal level, even even with the great technology that they have.
0: Yeah, I would entirely agree. I think the work that Chainlink Labs team has done is absolutely critical. You know, they've they've built up a world class team of a whole spectrum of different people, different developers, different support members, sales, uh, you know, integration experts and whatnot. So, a- anytime a protocol needs help on in some integration or they need, you know, some way of understanding how to integrate chain link services or some kind of use case they you know the chain link team is always going to be there to help protocols, because they want to grow the ecosystem effectively. And I think that's, you know, the chain labs team, even more so than Chainlink kind of works in the background, but like, they work their magic, and they make the ecosystem possible, and they help everybody wherever they can. So they're, like, they're they're truly a world class team, I would say.
2: incredible man um, extremely based very much chase any and do you have any other questions on like the CCIP
1: he kind of answered a lot of mine yeah no um, yeah a lot of my questions uh, were answered it's uh <laughs> you know I, I feel like I'm someone who has uh, at times like a uh, you know an okay grasp that chain link i think there's always a layer deeper to go when it comes to chain link but um you know it's funny whenever clg comes on it's just uh it's hard it's hard to keep up you know <laughs> <laughs> so um no it's it's always like a pleasure having a conversation with you man and um breaking this stuff down um super i don't know if you had anything else but if not i mean do, were we going to do like some community questions do we have time for that or
2: Yeah, I know we have uh, have a special guest from Chainlink coming on in like seven minutes or so. So we could start community questions, and then if he gets here, uh, we could just transition to that.
0: Yeah, I think that works.
2: Bet. Uh, Let's do that. Uh, If you guys have questions for for Chainlink, God, just request now, and I'll I'll let you guys on one at a time.
3: Uh, I actually have one from the audience. Uh, HashCoff asks, when does
0: CCIP? I don't think they're they've given a timeline yet. It's one of those things that's going to have to be thoroughly tested, the new service. This will take a few months. It'll take a, uh, quite a while and then it'll roll out most well it'll definitely roll out on testnet first and then deploy on a few chains and then probably grow to more chains, but I don't think the I don't think they've given a specific timeline yet. Sweet. Thank you. Of course.
2: What's going on, Chainlink Retriever? Oh, he dropped. (laughs) Right away. (laughs) Never mind, you turned.
4: (laughs) I see you, brother. What up, Little Link? What's going on, guys? Um, Chainlink got a question for you. So, as far as I've been following Chainlink for the past few years, like, they don't flinch. There never seems to be many issues or anything. It just, everything seems pretty flawless with all like ccip and all these different avenues let's say over the next few years what do you think the biggest issues or uh difficulties will be with Chainlink expanding um to like all these different things are there any big hurdles um that you think need to be mounted
6: i
0: think that it'll be crucial to maintain like the same level of security and reliability across all these environments so Like what makes CCIP work is that there's plenty of blockchains to connect to, meaning there needs to be a chain like integration on each blockchain. But I think what's crucial and what will probably uh, will take time is like ensuring that each integration, each chain is of the highest reliability and of the highest tamper resistance. Like we've seen a lot of different bridges get exploited in the past. We saw Poly Network exploited for $600 million due to some issues. So to like avoid those types of things, they're going to have to take time to like deeply test and integrate. And that means that they won't nec- may not necessarily be as um, fast to integrate every chain, but it's going to be more secure. So effectively scaling up the, the ability to support more chains and more services without compromising on security is definitely not an easy task. But I think it's something that like as the chain link team scales, which is I mean, it's already like I think it's like a few hundred people at this point. But as that scales, I think that'll become uh, a little, little easier. But I think that'll be one difficulty is a uh, uh, scaling out to more blockchain networks um, at at a sufficient speed, and then not the you know decreasing reliability, which you know they would never do. But you know, it's like striking that right balance effectively.
4: Yeah, that's awesome. Quality is always hard to scale. I don't want to be be a hog, but I have one more question. Um, and by no means shitting on any competitors because I respect anyone in the space because I think everyone's moving towards the same goal. But is there anyone, so let's say Band, API3, is anyone else like blockchain agnostic and going cross chain? Because you have seen like um, Pyth or Pith, however you say it, and then Wolfram, like um, Chainlink's obviously gone to Cardano and it's going to Solana and will be like that Oracle service. Is anyone else? Um, other competitors going to other chains
0: I think there's two aspects there's one of being blockchain agnostic and then there's one of being a cross chain solution so in terms of being blockchain agnostic we see some implementations of Oracle's being blockchain agnostic but most of the time they use like a relayer design meaning they their Oracle only delivers data to a single blockchain and then they have to use uh, relayers to then move that data to another blockchain which basically creates a point of failure in that first blockchain, which is effectively what we saw with uh, with Pyth when Solana uh, shut down for a day, they weren't able to deliver data to any other blockchain effectively because Solana was down. And that's like one of the downsides of that type of approach compared to Chainlink, which is natively blockchain agnostic. Uh, so there's some oracles that take that approach of being blockchain agnostic, but they don't take necessarily the optimal route. They take a more, uh, easier to integrate because they just outsource their chain integration to another protocol, but that creates dependencies that often break, or it can break. Uh, In terms of, like, cross-chain interoperability, I don't think we've really seen any oracles stepping into that regard. Usually, cross-chain protocols are just cross-chain bridges, and they don't uh, really step into the oracle game because Chainlink's already pretty much conquered that game. And most oracles who are focused on oracles are, well, focus on Oracle's. They don't have much bandwidth to do cross-chain uh, development. So that's not really something we've seen yet. But as Chainlink launches CCIP, uh, what usually happens when Chainlink launches a successful service, there comes copycats after that. So we'll probably see that. But just like what happened before, uh, Chainlink remains to be the industry standard because it has the network effects and it has that security and reliability. So that, that, that's effectively my view on the that kind of ecosystem.
4: Awesome, man. Thanks so much. appreciate everything you do for the community.
0: Of course. Happy to help.
4: Thanks
6: for coming on, Little
2: Link. Appreciate you, brother. What's going on, Colin?
6: Hey, I I just tuned in here. Um, I was at a meetup right now, so I haven't been able to listen in much. But, yeah, I guess I got invited to tell you guys that you know, Chainlink's doing a lot of events and cities in person around you. Uh, I hosted a cafe meetup today. Met some cool guys. We were talking about how like the businesses we uh, support, you know, we want to vote more with our dollars and it would be cool if uh, some local businesses, you know, they, pub- they had a of their money and you could see where they spent you know their donations but I don't know just some interesting conversations at these blockchain meetups and the other thing is the hackathon is coming up not sure if you guys touched on that yet but October 22nd and there's gonna be a lot of launch parties happening like uh, I'm doing one in Berkeley and there I think there's one in Singapore and I want to say Philadelphia, Mexico City. If you go to chainlink.com and events that's where they're starting to list them all. I'm doing these weekly cafe meetups and yeah, we're trying to do more in-person stuff so if you guys think that's cool and yeah just maybe we could have a little conversation about it
2: that sounds really awesome colin um i on social does does the hackathon have a unique social handle that people should follow uh
6: no not really i don't think so just everybody from chainlinks tweeting about it kind of and patrick's running that great course on free code camp so that's a good way to learn but yeah uh my twitter twitter i'm posting the launch party there uh we got meetup pages for all these events and
1: hey colin do you uh so do you need to have like developer experience uh to kind of contribute to these hackathons like who uh what does that kind of look like
6: no so yeah uh, I know from the, at the last hackathon, the winning teams, they were made up of a couple developers and some people doing, who've had some business knowledge. Uh, it, whatever you bring to the table, people want to hear it. You know, if you're, so the event I'm at right now, it's like a networking event for climate and sustainability, but people here want to get, be integrated with blockchain and find ways to track uh, emissions and carbon emissions. So yeah, whatever your niche is, if you have some type of good knowledge on it, and you could contribute, then yeah, there's some great projects that could come out of that.
2: That's awesome. Very, very based. Thank you so much, Colin. We appreciate we appreciate the shout out, everyone. Everyone, uh, check out Colin's page. I know he's he's always posting info on the hackathon. Uh, it's a really big event for for the entire community. And like Colin's saying, if you guys, even if you have minor experience or no
1: experience, and you're but you're just passionate about chain, like
2: you know, there's probably a place for you guys to get involved.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is you know, if you have interest in the industry and just like want to collaborate and kind of get involved, I feel like this is like a like amazing first step to kind of like do it in a very non-pressured way. Um, so definitely check it out guys. If you're tuning in.
2: Appreciate you, Colin. Thanks for coming on.
1: Um, I actually had a question. CLG we were talking about before um, you had hopped on. I don't know if you had a chance yet to kind of like read through it and look at the news with visa today. Um, but I just wonder if you had any sort of like thoughts around, uh, that news
0: yeah so just before that I shared at the top I think it should be working so I shared a link to the chain link hackathon that's if you want to learn more about that then definitely check out that link it's the the 2021 fall so chain like hackathon there's three hundred fifty thousand dollars in prizes and there's a bunch of different workshops um, speaking events and um, a bunch of different sponsors including Google Google cloud which is one of the recent ones and uh, definitely if you're a doesn't matter if you're an experienced developer or you are a new developer or don't know anything about coding, then this event is for you to learn, uh, you know, chain the Oracle services, uh, developing smart contracts, and then if you are a developer, you can even end up uh, pitching your projects to VCs. So definitely uh, an event to check out if you are building anything or want to build anything in the smart contract ecosystem. I would definitely check out that link. And uh, back back to your question, I I did look at it a little bit. I think I think the greater theme of Visa just getting more connected to the Ethereum ecosystem is pretty significant. I mean, we already saw them buy a CryptoPunk and now they're developing uh, cross-chain solutions for CBDCs. And we we see a lot of different cross-chain solutions out there and it's kind of a, you know, there's a lot of different implementations. This one's more of a state channel. So pre-funding liquidity uh, payment channels is, it has its own uh, advantages and disadvantages. But I think in general, having traditional entities building ethereum smart contracts and building infrastructure for ethereum is going to be you know it's entirely bullish i think that they're taking ethereum very seriously in terms of like one of the largest payment providers in the world uh, developing this type of solution so i think it's i think it's, some, it's something something i was fairly cool to see What's
2: going on requiem
5: hello can you guys hear me Crystal clear. How? All right. Well, uh, how's your cat, CLG?
0: <laughs> he's doing pretty well. I had to, he, he kept jumping on the blind side so to put him outside my room, unfortunately, but he, he's doing well.
5: That's good to hear. Uh, um, just to switch, um, there was um, a false liquid. Have you heard of the uh, Frax USD Chainlink price feed um, news a few weeks, days ago? i did not um it was talking about like an unexpected liquidity migration caused a uh, false liquidation event if i can i can just send the link to crypto mewtwo if you guys wanted to um, hear more about that but essentially something i think there was like one old link marine who was um a bit concerned how um the chain link oracle services reported a false um false price fee due to some unexpected liquidity um issues within um rag capital have you guys so has anyone heard of that one before or no
0: you send that information i can look look over it a little bit later that's not something not something i heard of
5: okay all good well thanks i'm glad to hear link uh Linky's good
0: yeah thanks as always
2: Thanks for coming on, brother. I think we got one more in the queue here. What's going on, Juice?
7: Guys, what's happening? (laughs) Hey,
2: you made it up here, brother. What's going on?
7: Yeah. So I got like three questions. Honored to be talking to you guys. No, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Quant and how it compares to CCIP because they're a little, it seems like they are maybe a little bit ahead, but also a little bit different. Number two is this new crypto called Wormhole, lets you transfer NFTs from Ethereum to Solana. I was curious what your thoughts on that were. And then the last thing was Visa's, so like when Visa came out with the cross-chain CCP news, there was, I mean, there was like a bunch of what looked like chain link cubes, like in the pictures, but it wasn't mentioned, obviously. Um, is Chainlink involved with any of that? Okay. Quant, Wormhole, and Visa.
0: Gotcha. In terms of Quant, Quant's quite a bit different. They're like a uh, permissioned off chain business to business agreement based on closed source infrastructure. So it's like very much more of an enterprise type off chain agreement between diff- two different counterparties where it's kind of the data is hashed on a chain. And that's kind of their use case of it's really more of like a multi-chain in Fira, And then you can also have these off-chain agreements that are loosely connected to a blockchain. While what CCIP is effectively doing is it's uh, like a decentralized network for permissionless cross-chain applications running on open source infrastructure. So it's like something that's geared more specifically towards like the DeFi ecosystem and for the smart contract ecosystem and not so much for off-chain B2B agreements per se. Uh, so that's like a core differentiator it's like almost entirely different field really Uh, in terms of wormhole I think bridging nfts is kind of an interesting concept but I think one question is how likely people are really going to want to do that Um, I mean it's one thing for like gaming applications I could see use cases for it there but in terms of like jpegs um, I don't know if that's necessarily like you know, I don't. I, I'm just like thinking for me personally. I don't see why I would want to really bridge NFTs anywhere. You know, once I have an NFT, I can prove I own it, and I can, you know, spread clout about it, which is like one aspect of NFTs. But I, I think it's fairly interesting. Uh, just kind of wondering about usability there. Um, and in terms of Visa, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's always references to hexagons and cubes if you look deep enough into anything. Um, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they were doing some kind of work with Chainlink. From reading what they had for that that Visa white paper that they posted, it seemed like a payment channel. So it doesn't really seem like anything Chainlink would be directly related to. But ultimately, wouldn't really surprise me if they were in some aspect.
7: Maybe it's room for another tool for Chainlink, another service.
0: Very potential. I mean, there is opportunities to sound like swapping between different coins and different chains. And if that's the case, then it would be very. Uh, useful to have a price feed to ensure that those exchanges actually happen happen at a proper exchange rate. Um, that would be that would be a pretty crucial integration there. But yeah, there's there's a world of opportunities there.
7: Yeah. Well, tell uh, call up Sergey and tell him Juice uh, had this idea. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for coming up, Juice. Thanks, Juice.
2: Appreciate you, brother. I think that is the cue. Guys, If uh, give it another second or two, and uh, then we'll call it there.
0: It was a lot of good questions. Uh, CCIP is uh, the whole world of opportunities there.
1: CLG, I'm, actually, I'm curious. Um, have you kind of dove into uh, green finance and um, just kind of ESGs and stuff like that, the SCGs world of how um, Chainlink could be a solution in that? industry.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of interesting there's been some interesting uh community grants in that regard, uh, of funding like a CO2 oracle for accurately trans uh, uh monitoring how much CO2 is being put into the atmosphere and different uh climate sustainability uh grants and just for monitoring monitoring the environment and then monitoring the impact of uh things like regenerative uh agriculture. So like monitoring how many trees so many plants and then incentivizing them through like rebates based on how much they plant so like you take data from like a satellite you track a certain portion of land you see how much more trees have been grown then you pay the entity who helps like reforest that land so that's one of the things that uh, ic3 is actually working on i don't remember the name but i think there was a grant on that and that was a that was, that was a pretty interesting uh, esg sustainability type initiative
1: that's awesome, I, I love that. What up, 18? What's up, 18?
2: Going on, 18? <laughs> maybe he's uh, maybe he's still connecting.
1: Yeah, maybe uh, bring up the other person that's queued up. And we'll yeah. See. Okay. Yo, what up, guys? Yo, Yo. what's up, 18? Great base base so far.
2: Thanks, brother. Do you have any, uh, do you have a question for CLG?
1: No, not off the top of my head. Been very informative. Lots of exciting stuff going on. Um, you know, with CCIP, OCR, um, Everything that's going on just reinforces just how critical Chainlink is to the block uh, blockchain space. Um, at the forefront of all these innovations, constantly blazing the path, and just you know, gets me pumped up, man. Keeping my head in the game and uh, looking forward to the future.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent agreed.
2: Very nice, man. Appreciate you sharing the love. We're all, we're all pumped about Link here, that's for sure. What's going on, Sacknug?
6: Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm a ditto, 18. Amazing space. Appreciate all you guys putting this together. Um, I kind of got two short and easy ones. Um, when do you see timeline-wise uh, Deco like, taking effect like at, at scale?
0: It's a good question. I'm I'm not entirely sure. I think that it'll have a large impact once more institutions start stepping into blockchain ecosystems, or that once they start stepping into smart contracts, because once they do, they're going to need to keep privacy of their internal data, while still being able to use it within smart contract applications. In terms of development, I'm not entirely sure there hasn't been too much of like a timeline given there. But when enterprises start stepping into the space. And as things like um, under collateralized lending and as identity protocols start rolling out, Deco will definitely become a greater importance to exist to enable those applications. So I would say ideally sooner than later, which not a great response, but that's what I'm hoping for.
6: So in lieu of uh, Deco and for the meantime, who would you say, provides like the best zero knowledge proof technology?
0: I mean, when you look at zero knowledge proofs, there's two things you can really use it for. You can use it for privacy, and you can use it for scalability. And what we've really been seeing it used for is for scalability, where you're able to compress a lot of data into a small proof. So we've seen things like ZK rollups in Validiums, things like Starkware, uh, ZK Sync and uh, even things like DYDX is running on Starkware and they're mm-hmm. using Chainlink on that. So it's kind of that's complimentary in a lot of regards um, in terms of like privacy and a little bit of scalability kind of uh, is uh, like what EY has been doing. And I'm pretty sure Polygon just acquired it in terms of like having a more privacy preserving optimistic roll up, which is like a ZK optimistic roll up, which is fairly interesting. So there's
8: stuff. You said they were called EY?
0: Yeah, Ernst, Ernst Young, like the top four auditing firm. And uh, they've been working okay. with uh, Polygon. That's a little bit more privacy preserving, but Deco is more unique in the sense that it's not just a regular zero knowledge proof, but that it's zero knowledge proof of data from an existing web server, which is like really the unique aspect of Deco and how it's really useful for oh. like credit scores for any kind of personal uh identifiable information that you want to use but you don't want to actually reveal. So that's like where the key the key use case of deco is which we'll eventually see and there really doesn't exist a competitor in that regard.
6: So that's kind of just speaking on like what Sergey always goes on about why would we change the existing infrastructure when we could just add a layer to make it better. So that makes a lot of sense when you explain like that. As always, appreciate it.
0: Of course, happy to educate.
2: Thanks, Sokka.
0: I think I could probably take a couple more questions and then I got to hop.
2: Uh, we'll give another second or two guys. If you want to speak to CLG, ask him a question, just request. Give um, another second or two.
3: Before yeah. anyone else uh, comes on, CLG, obviously I just want to take time and thank you because I can't imagine how much time of your own that you spent learning and working with chain link i also want to thank everybody listening for supporting us from day one or just anywhere along the way um like none of this would be possible without you all as a community so i definitely just want to just put that out there so thank you to both you C O G and the community for listening
0: i appreciate that i'm always happy to educate when i kind of echo that as well as i appreciate everybody listening in as well and i've accumulated some knowledge but uh uh, you know, I need, I need people to share it with and I'm more grateful than ever that people want to, you know, listen in and, uh, you know, uh, learn, learn for themselves, you know, the, the, uh, the great impact of Chainlink and, you know, there's always more to learn about Chainlink and I'm always learning more about Chainlink and I'm happy to spread that information and I'm super grateful for the, the support the community gives on uh, all the education stuff that I give in various different formats, including uh, Twitter space calls like this.
2: Let's go. These are always a ton of fun. What's up, fam? Soldier?
7: Hey, what's up, guys? Doing well. Uh, all right, awesome. It's great to be on. and just wanted to ask if you play any NFT games or if you've heard of the Chainlink War EV for War Riders. I know they use
0: Chainlink uh, so you can send their native token, Benzene to a person through their nickname uh, on their website. And I was just wondering if you had any uh, experience with War Riders or or anything like any NFT game. Yeah, honestly, not that much, uh, really. I've spent like a large amount of my focus on DeFi. That's where I've really been focused. I've dabbled in some NFTs here and there and I have some collected and some people send me some uh, interesting ones (laughs) to say the least, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't dabble with NFDs that often. Uh, it, it was one of those things that I kind of missed, and I guess continue to miss. But I'm more than happy to be in the DeFi space. That's where I put like a lot of my focus and effort.
7: Heck yeah, I feel you. That's where the most growth is right now. But thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely, thank you.
2: Thanks, fan soldier. What up, DeFi God?
7: Uh, Hi, Thanks for having me on. I just have one uh, question. The chain link God, what is your end game?
0: (laughs) So that we can all make it, of course. (laughs) In reality, it's a, to like educate the entire ecosystem on the actual factual implications of hybrid smart contracts on not just the isolated DeFi ecosystem, but on the global economy as a whole, because there can be amazing technology that exists, but if nobody knows about it and nobody uses it, then it's as if it never existed at all. So I think that kind of breaking down the information asymmetry is kind of where I'm really trying to focus and hone in on them. And the ultimate goal is to establish Chainlink as a definitive truth machine And establish hybrid smart contracts as the dominant final form of contractual agreements that eliminates counterparty risk, increases transparency, and creates a more fair world for the entire uh, global economy and everybody within it. So it's kind of big picture view type thing, but that's kind of where I'm really trying to strive and push people to start seeing necessarily. That's kind of where I'm really, really focused on. Yeah, it takes a lot of education to try to uh, to convince everybody, especially if they have very little knowledge of blockchains or smart contracts. But you know, uh, it's worth every second.
2: Absolutely appreciate the question, Defi God. Very based. Thanks for coming up.
0: Thanks as always, Defi God.
8: What's going on, Thomas? Hi, thank you so much for hosting this space. Um, so I'm a Link Marine, but I'll be honest, I'm definitely um, not the most active. I'm involved in a lot of projects and I work at the Chamber of Digital Commerce, but I'm definitely a Link supporter. My question is going to be a little bit different and I'm not trying to like throw uh, shade at any person, um, but I have seen sort of like, um, I'd say like a struggle between like the Link community and uh crit um, Chris Berniski from placeholder. Um, I respect Chris. I think he's like a really smart guy. I'm just curious again, not trying to bash, but why do you think Chris doesn't sort of see value
0: in link? Well, there's, you could say the obvious answer is that he's an investor in API three, which is a chain like competitor, and you could leave it at that. But I think that's, It is a little confusing considering he came up with like the middleware thesis and he does have a lot of good writings and you know I respect his work on that regard but I don't know if he necessarily grasps the full scope of what Chainlink is necessarily building that it's not just price feeds but it's a whole host of off-chain services to expand uh, smart contract applications. I think the kind of a lot of the conflict from like the community side was like the piece that Coinbase or CoinDesk had about API three being the the Chainlink killer and you know the quotes from the team of a uh, basically kind of hitting on Chainlink a bit, but I think in his regard, uh, I th- think it's kind of like a self re- self enforcing loop where he'll have a negative Chainlink take, the Chainlink community will disagree, and then that's just going to inevitably keep causing friction in that regard. So I think realistically, he missed out on Chainlink. Then he invested in a competitor, and then he pushed the competitor, and then now he's seeing pushback from the chainlet community. So I think that's like the most likely path of what happened. But without being Chris Bernsky then I can't you know I can't definitively say just kind of giving my speculative opinion.
8: Got it. thanks so much. yeah, I, I always found that really confusing because he's a really smart guy and he seems to you know, be very balanced in his viewpoints. Um, but yeah, just again, thank you so much. And especially you, Chainlink um, God, um, you know, most of my updates about Chainlink come from you. So can't thank you enough. And uh, thank you so much for allowing me to ask that question.
0: Of course. Thank you.
2: All right, guys, I know Chainlink, Chainlink God, we've bombarded you with a ton of questions. Just really, really appreciate you coming on the base space again. Um, I think from all of us, Chase, super. Uh, we really just appreciate you. I think, you know, you're you're really the first one to come on the space and uh support the base space. I think you were like our first main guest. So just appreciate uh all the love and support you've you've shown us uh and watched us grow, man. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm grateful for you having me on. I'm always happy to have a some platform to educate the community on on chainlink and then answer some interesting questions here and there. But always happy to expand. Help help share the knowledge that I've accrued over time, and then hopefully everybody here who listens to the information I I hear can then go, you know, tell other people about chainlink and help give great explanations to other people. So I appreciate you guys for throwing this uh, this space of call together, and I appreciate everybody tuning in and taking a listen and. Uh, Hearing what I got to say about Chainlink, it's, I'm truly grateful.
1: Yeah, just to uh, piggyback off that, um, I just want to say thanks personally, CLG. Uh, I know I already said it earlier, but it really is uh, a joy to just share the stage with you and to kind of pick your brain on these, like, cutting edge, like, tip of the spear type solutions. Um, and if, if you're listening in, whether it's on YouTube or whether you're in the audience, I do want to give a shout out. Mewtwo recently just rebranded our page. Um, if you want to check that out, it's basedspace.io. Um, and if you enjoyed this type of conversation, we do have a list of guest speakers and some of the links to the videos. So if you like this type of content, just kind of peek the website, peek the YouTube channel, um, and we'll, we'll for sure be uploading this one. Assuming CLG, you're, you're okay if we, uh, if we do upload this.
0: Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that.
1: Awesome. Super. That's Did so- you, uh, you have anything you wanted to add?
3: No, I, I basically added it earlier. So just to echo it again, thank you. I honestly can't like describe it enough. You and uh, Modern, and I feel like one other person really pushed me to learn about Chain League and just go down the rabbit hole. And it's completely changed my life in ways that I can't explain. Um, so, you know, I, I, really, I really do appreciate everything you do and everybody that listens because, base space and crypto has just like it's, it's changed my life so thank
0: you glad to hear had an impact always happy to educate wherever i can
2: let's go and uh special shout out to all the listeners i mean we have several hundred listeners tuning in uh the link marines everyone i mean this whole community is so unpowerful and empowering um and i think this is a really unique space and a really unique time um just in history so we should just cherish this moment and and live it as much as we can. We're early. All right, All guys. right guys, stay base. Yep.